0: All right, here we are, back for another episode of Eat, Pray, and Judge. We're going back in a time machine to 2014, Sammy. Way back. So far back, I had people who were doing the uh, ALS challenge.
1: The Ice Bucket Challenge.
0: That's right. It went viral that year. Mm-hmm. You know, Malala, she was out. She was out there. She got shot in the face. And then after that, she came back and uh, got a Nobel Peace Prize at 17. Pretty heroic. That's pretty, pretty heroic. That's pretty impressive. You know who else came on the scene in 2014? Um, ISIS! ISIS! <laughs> Yo, they were so hardcore that Al-Qaeda was like, nah, <laughs> we have to disassociate. Too, too crazy, man. Yeah, too too crazy, too crazy. Bro, bro, stop. stop.
1: 2014, huh?
0: Yeah. It doesn't seem, uh, it seems like it's still now.
1: Yeah, you they, know? I, but I haven't, I haven't heard them in the news in, in a while, heard of them in the news. Oh, they lost a lot of ground. Did they?
0: Yeah, drone strikes, you know, that all. That'll seriously, uh, Sa- outdated technology and sap the morale. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was watching like a New York times, um, uh, listening to a New York times podcast uh, yeah. called uh, caliphate, mm-hmm. which follows that, you know, I'm not giving our competitors, <laughs> our podcasting <laughs> competitors any more shine than that. It's good shine. But, uh, it's pretty That's enough shine. That's enough. Okay. They're not paying us to uh, promote them.
1: Pro bono shine.
0: So yeah, 2014, um, I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of great prestige t- television that was coming out around then. Yeah, transparent.
1: I, I just became familiar with that term. Elaborate.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, prestige television is pretty much like uh, t- television that only people on uh, the coastal elites...
1: It should have been like television that Sammy watches. That would have been a fine <laughs> indicator. I would not have known exactly what right. you're talking
0: about. If you live in Portland, uh, uh, Seattle, New York City, L.A., San Francisco, Atlanta... Yeah, your this is this is television that the uh, the Atlanta. critics at your local newspapers uh, write about.
1: Yeah, let's say the yeah.
0: So uh, disproportionate uh, uh, amount of ink and coverage for a very slight yet affluent viewership. So Mad Men, for example. Mm-hmm. Another prestige television show. Oh, Louie came out that year.
1: All the thought-provoking critical darlings.
0: Critical darlings, yes. Uh, who? What other uh, shows sort of... a oblo- Oh, uh, uh, Silicon Valley, big. Uh, Broad City came out that year. High Maintenance was on Vimeo. Now it's on HBO. So that's... Oh, and John Oliver uh, jumped on the scene to give us even more fake news. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have enough And, uh, yeah, so, you know, um, that's, and that was, like, sort of an evolution of uh, John, uh, what, John John Stewart, Uh you know, oh, Robin Williams died, Uh, Yep. sad, sad, I liked all of his movies except Hook,
1: yeah, I know, we we talked about Hook at one point in the podcast, Uh, yeah, I never saw it,
0: ruined my childhood, but I loved uh, (laughs) Good Morning Vietnam, you know, I just watched a Robin Williams documentary on HBO. Oh, how was that? It was fantastic, Great. yeah, yeah. So he, uh, yeah, man, he was a prolific dude, and um, that it was. It's sad. I feel like he had a couple. He had a couple more movies in him, and maybe another special. Uh, Joan Rivers also passed away that year. Mm-hmm. Great documentary about her. A piece of work. It's a
1: good name for that.
0: Yeah, how? she never.
1: She, she was old when she passed. She
0: like, never she? stopped working though, and 101? I. I <laughs> I'm serious it's it's hard to determine yeah because uh she changed her face often yep so it's funny there's like pictures you can see of her and her daughter and like they're they don't look that different in age even though she's at least it's 60 years younger <laughs> yeah
1: um, well that's
0: like sharing her grandma you can look those pictures up too Sharon, or share not her grandma sorry her, her mom i was about to say but share's like pushing she's at least 70 gotta be so her mom's like 90 Still looking good. Mom's still alive. Yeah.
1: Oh, wow. She's got those good jeans.
0: Just just pushing uh, stem shells right into her her lips. Yeah.
1: Half-breed. Uh, what? That was her song, Half-breed. Her, her multicultural, ethnic background.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, famous yeah. For doing that. She's not Italian.
1: Uh, no, not even a little bit, I don't think.
0: No, but she's that's like, what I thought after we did the Moonstruck podcast—that no. she was like a full-blown Italian. No, I think
1: that's why she got the Oscar not, because she's not Italian.
0: She was putting on pasta face. I
1: feel like she's got uh, she's got like Native American, like Cherokee. I feel like and like Armenian. Armenian. There we go. But Jinx. I feel like Greek too. She's she's Just definitely a, like a an Ottoman uh, succotash,
0: a Mediterranean pond,
1: a metze platter. <laughs>
0: a sort of genetic background right did you has anybody in your family done the 23 and me or the any any uh genealogy type no I don't think anyone
1: has uh yeah I don't know I talked to my dad about it once he's like I have no no need to do that I'm like why He's like I kind of figure where we have our uh the background makeup he was thinking like Arab French and Irish so
0: yes Cru- you know crusades product you, you know when the uh when the when the Celtic barbarians inv- invaded Syria
1: yeah <laughs> uh, just, or yeah an, just the whole
0: an, an Irish man in Damascus
1: um yeah that's a good that's a John Wayne movie I think
0: yeah it sounds good
1: um I'd yeah or just that you know throughout the the Ottoman Empire and the, the mixed up uh yeah clans who knows? It's a huge melting pot over there.
0: Who knows? 2014, man. North Korea hacking Sony.
1: Yeah. Over the interview.
0: That's right. That's right. Not really. So, you know, uh, it's it's precedented. If people say there are unprecedented hackings uh, by foreign governments on ours, no. It's happened before. Yep. North Korea's done it. Sure, it happens all the time. Hey, man. It's happening right now. Yep. I was in D.C. I was doing a show, and this guy uh, was working cybersecurity uh, and I and I said, What's what's going on, man? And he's like, Dude, every day the Chinese are hacking our um our ports, they're trying to they're trying to get in. We're constantly in a state of cyber warfare with yeah. all of the other big nations. So no one should be surprised when it happens.
1: I read somewhere that the I think it was Yeah, well the, the, the countries that, that were spied on the most to buy and China and Israel were the top two. But well, then now Russia, I guess, is easily number three. Russia doesn't need to spy
0: right <laughs> <laughs>
1: they have their hands up our assholes uh
0: yeah well oh what um here's something that happened um hashtag bring back our girls
1: yeah i didn't i wasn't uh, i wasn't aware of this you can
0: so the uh, the uh the w- uh w- the bush league um terrorist organization boko haram not quite making the same waves as isis decided. not to be confused with harambe no, not, okay. not to be confused with, Harambe was like, I don't know, what is that, 2016? Ugh, eons ago. So, yes, it feels like lifetimes ago. Boko Harambe. But yes, and they <laughs> they kidnapped 230 girls uh, from a Nigerian school, and Michelle Obama uh, put up the hashtag, bring back our girls, and that was like huge, viral on Twitter. Okay. Very kind of like, you know, there are similar hashtags happening Today, around uh, where are our children. Mm -hmm. So it seems like um, children are always being lost or abducted or kidnapped. Mm -hmm. Either by uh, fascist Islamic terrorist organizations Mm -hmm. or the United States government.
1: Or in Thailand's case, caves.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Hashtag bring back our our Thai boy soccer team.
1: Hashtag younger Chilean minors.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so history repeats itself.
1: <laughs> it sure does.
0: So many cycles. Uh, let's see here. You fo- oh, if you followed football, the first gay football player was drafted.
1: Oh, yeah, Sam something?
0: That's right, Michael Sam.
1: Michael Sam, that's right.
0: So, uh, making waves. Black Lives Matter?
1: That was a big deal. He didn't make it too far in the NFL, though. Um, who knows why?
0: Who, Black Lives Matter didn't make it?
1: No, Black Lives Matter made it pretty far in the NFL. Yeah, I mean it's still still stirring up shit.
0: That's right. So some of these, uh, you know, we're looking at a a, a year that was just—it's so close to now that it's really hard even to pick what the most nostalgic things are to look back on
1: yeah it doesn't even feel like i have zero nostalgic attachment to 2014 at all because,
0: because a lot like a lot of the tv shows and a lot of the still issues on. are still are still, still uh, out there you know there was like a viral picture of kim kardashian's ginormous butt but, i think it'd been like photoshopped or inflated the
1: fact is when i was researching 2014 that came up 10 times it's like why why
0: like, if a little kid, because I'm, you know, we do this, and we, like, Google 2014, yeah. and I'm like, well, what if I was a teacher, and I was like, hey, kids, look up 2014 and see what happened.
1: You get trash butt. <laughs> trash people butt.
0: It's, it's, like, their their context of what history is is going to be, like, what the most popular viral video of that so year was. Sad. Like, there was a tiny hamster eating a tiny burrito. Okay, that's the first thing that comes up under, like, Time Magazine's... Uh, Top ten viral videos. 2014? Yeah,
1: awesome. Subway rat, pizza rat.
0: Uh, Obama was between two ferns. Mm-hmm. So that
1: was a that was worth a watch.
0: Presidents with punchlines.
1: Yeah, he did that. He did like a comedy circuit. I feel like
0: so, he did. Man, he he got interviewed by Marin. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he got in a car with
1: Seinfeld, but he did. Get I wouldn't be surprised. Seinfeld. Yeah, he did. Uh, he was on the Kimmel show a bunch. He was on all those shows. <laughs>
0: So we're here, man. We're doing this. And the reason that we're here today is because of this fantastic movie that uh, you recommended. Right. We're seeing Chef.
1: Chef. 2014's Chef.
0: And uh, I'll tell ta- man, it stars uh, John Favreau. Great who cast. He wrote it and directed it. Yeah. And I uh, loved him since Swingers. Sure. You know, your money, baby. Your money. Your money. In this one, there's no your money. But there is, uh, there is one line I really like when they're all eating this like little piece of pig, and they're like, oh, mm, oh oh it's delicious oh it's the best oh it's great is what? it good is it good is it good oh it's great are you sure it's good you like it you like it oh i love it oh it's, oh, it's so flavorful oh it's juicy oh you sound like alpacino. Right oh now? yeah <laughs> oh that's great that's great what is this carne asada mm. <laughs> you really
1: sound like <laughs> al pacino Thank you, uh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, that so really
0: uh, that's all. That's that's like the only line I remember from the movie. I don't movie. even know what line you're it's talking about. It's just dudes being that. super excited about eating. About his, food, uh, maybe
1: that's why I love this movie. Yeah, or really liked it. Loved it strong.
0: Yeah, so if you if you haven't seen Chef, this is, was a really it's a small budget movie that came out in 2014 with a stellar cast. And one of the reasons I think that we've got such a great cast is because John Favre has working relationships with all of these people, and had directed them in, in other bigger films. Really good point. And uh, John Favreau was coming off of uh, directing um, uh, Iron Man 1 and 2, and so he was making these big blockbusters. And he took a step back and poured, uh, poured all of his time and attention into this story uh, about a chef who um, uh, is, feels creatively stifled, uh, he is in a golden cage right now because he is working as the celebrity chef for uh, another guy played by Dustin Hoffman, Riva. So it's Riva's restaurant, but we have Carl the chef played by John Favreau, mm-hmm. and uh, and John Favreau's character is just and I want to call him that for the rest of this. We'll call him uh, John Fav- uh, John Favreau. Yeah. So he is creatively stifled, man. He wants to change the menu up, and uh, he has a strained relationship with his ex-wife, who is Cuban, and with his 10-year-old son. Uh, He is a master cook who loves to be creative in the kitchen, and uh, he's not very good at the other things in his life. Uh, And he has a meltdown when he gets a bad review from a critic, and that sends him on an odyssey of self-discovery. Where he he goes back to the basics, and gets a food cart and travels around the country, uh, on his way back to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. garnering um, you know uh, new fans for his his flavor combinations with his cubano sandwiches, his medianoches. What
1: does what does that mean?
0: That means midnights. Uh, midnights, midnight, Okay, that's yes. what I thought and he uh so yeah so and and on the way on his journey in his food truck going back to la he reconnects with his son and uh at the end of it he uh gets he gets uh his ex-wife back he uh becomes a father for real and he ends up getting a new restaurant working underneath the critic who had lambasted his performance Working at Riva's restaurant at the beginning of the film.
1: Another really good actor, Oliver Platt.
0: Yeah, so we've got uh, the acting, and this is fantastic. We've got uh, Sophia uh, Figuera, mm-hmm. and we've got uh, the boy, MJ Anthony. Yep. Uh, who's fantastic in this, and you know, Dustin Hoffman's in it.
1: Scarlett Johansson, Robert Downey Jr., uh, John Leguizamo, who's excellent.
0: Dude, killing it.
1: And then uh, Bobby Cannavale. Who's also very
0: good? Oh, Bobby Cannavale is the one who's like, oh, so flavorful. Tony. Oh, it's oh the yeah, best. that's the
1: scene you're talking about.
0: Oh, yeah, him and John Leguizamo like, are both just like having mouth Mouthgasms. Mouth well,
1: they, I mean, you love good food. Yes. That, that I'm not gonna lie, that food looked great.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, if you if you love movies about food and if you like watching food being prepared on the screen, I think that this that's a highlight of this movie is just watching the food prep. Yeah. And if we jump in with, like, the first scene, it's just uh, our, our man, John Favreau, just uh, was showing off knife skills, son. Yep. Yeah, you see him in the kitchen, and he's just chopping up everything.
1: That's one of the things I really liked about this movie, I feel like, is they paid a lot of attention to uh, industry details. Well, um, what is, what
0: What's up with knife skills, man?
1: I mean, you need them. I mean, like... If he was a chef and they showed him cutting something and he wasn't using proper technique that chefs use, you would look like an asshole.
0: How many, how many uh, classes do you need to take? And Is there like knife skills one, knife oh, skills yeah. two? You can
1: even take them down the street here. A lot, a lot of places offer. He himself went to uh, French culinary school for like a couple months and learned a lot of like different techniques and, and, and you know, um, knife skills and other, probably like other little culinary tricks that he would use in the movie or just to have that background. Uh, he followed uh, a guy that's sort of credited with the advent of the, the the gourmet food truck scene, and a guy named Roy Choi who started a Koji barbecue truck in L.A. Uh, this L.A. Korean cat that uh, you you know was like Culinary uh, Institute of America trained, uh, was a fine dining chef at, at big hotels and stuff, and then kind of just switched it up a little bit and wanted to give back. Uh, you know. Yeah. Like a gourmet quality stuff at like a lower end for everyone to sort of get into it. And he opened Koji barbecue truck and became like a, just a, a pillar of that community. Like he really started that whole scene and got other high end chefs involved. And so yeah, that's I like who I, this was loosely based off of. And that's kind of who Favreau spent a lot of his time with. Uh, okay. So, he, so there
0: was some method, method acting. Sure. He was and shadowing. I, so and
1: by the looks of it, Favreau just seems like he, I mean, not to, you know, make a, a fat joke, but he looks like he likes food enough to, to really dive deep.
0: Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, they really worked a lot of other quality under, underground food stuff into this film.
0: I like that he spent time with like real chefs. That's very much uh, echoes back to that episode of The Sopranos. Yeah. Where John Favreau uh, hangs out with uh, Christopher Maltesante yeah. to figure out how to be like a gangster.
1: Yeah. Bukyak.
0: Yeah, yes. Oh, well, that and that was Janine Groffalo being Celine like, Garofalo.
1: oh, or oh, uh, what's Sandra that mean? Bernhardt. Oh, yeah, you're right. Both of those two.
0: Yeah, yeah. Definitely, Janine Garofalo. Oh, they were both in that scene.
1: I'm very glad but, we found a way to work Sopranos back into this. You have to. We you have to. You don't have a choice. Uh,
0: yeah. So he is. Uh, if you like cooking, there's a, there's all these great scenes of him just ch- chopping things up with a lot of TLC, mm-hmm. and uh, he is. Uh, He's stifled, though, man. So like, we see that he's got this... John Leguizamo comes in with this big old pig that he picked up at the Mm -hmm. farmer's market, and we know it's early in the day. He's doing this early because right after he's done, he's got to go pick up his kid. Right. So right off the bat, we're like, oh, this guy is devoted. And uh, maybe to the point where he forgets that he's got family obligations. Yeah. And uh, they chop up him and Leguizamo chop up that pig together. Uh, It's not on the menu. So they're preparing this pig that they're not going to be serving later they plan they plan to but uh they know that a lot's on uh the line because they're gonna have this uh food critic come in that night so they're trying to plan a completely new menu for this food critic
1: yeah i mean to sort of set that up a little bit better the critic goes in one night critic who obviously liked him at one point and thought he was like one of the new up and rising, up and coming chefs.
0: Ten years ago, he wrote a glowing, a glowing review. review.
1: On the same menu, effectively.
0: He was like, this is the second coming of, like, Harry Potter. This guy is, this is the Jesus, the Mas- the food messiah has right. arrived.
1: So, he's going to come back and review the restaurant for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know if they explained why he was doing that. Like, he was just making his rounds, basically.
0: Make, yeah, just, you know, he's got to go to all the restaurants um, in Brentwood.
1: Right. Uh, Silver Lake. I think he, uh... So he came into review, and it was sort of the same 10 classic dishes that he got well-known for, and he wasn't allowed to even create that's, something new. Or, or oh, new. that's
0: right. Dustin Hoffman yeah. comes in as just like the petty tyrant boss. Yeah,
1: which and, is a pretty common theme in restaurants, I feel like. you know, I mean, not to say that chefs aren't egotistical narcissists, because they really are, uh, and they're tough to deal with, but uh, the owner's not going to risk a bad review on innovation of any kind so he just doesn't seem to be a food orientated person oriented person he's just uh you know give him what give him the goods so how common is it
0: how to common? have uh dudes like Dustin Hoffman's character in the restaurant
1: i mean i feel like the business owner is going to be cautious with how he you know He's not going to take as many risks as a as a as a creative. You know, he's the money side, not the artistic side of the culinary world. And we've seen this before in Big Night. I actually there was a lot of uh, similarities in this movie. Well,
0: uh, Favreau says that he was inspired by Big Night. Oh, did he really in making this? So I did see some parallels, but I wondered if that's sort of just a universal tension in all of the in sort of high end restaurants. Restaurants where you have I mean, celebrity I'm, chefs.
1: I feel like you're going to have uh, you know, less hands-on owners for sure. I've seen that as the case. And I guess it depends on the status of the chef. You should probably let talented people do their thing. Uh, I thought it was – yeah, I mean this, this was very sort of a, a, a much more uh, – it seemed more like a dictatorship uh, on Riva's side. Uh, he was just not willing to take any risks at all even though the food looked great. And the guys obviously well qualified to do this.
0: Yeah. There's like caviar just sprinkled on eggs on and eggs. whatnot.
1: Yeah. But that's all old stuff. Old, old, old timey menus. It's I like, like
0: an old timey. You know what I want to eat?
1: I want to eat a beef Wellington. I, know I don't even know if go. there's a
0: place where, can you do that? It just sounds like something that people eat in the fifties. Yeah. And they're like sipping on grasshoppers,
1: like martinis and grasshoppers. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of power struggles, and unfortunately, the lack of creativity and the clashing of egos is why a lot of these, you know, better places tend to fail after several years.
0: Yeah, it's pretty funny when he brought up uh, guts as a thing. <laughs> he's like, "Are you going to put guts on the menu again?" And, oh, it was it tripe? Yeah, I get, yeah, no, I think it was uh, sweetbreads. Oh, guts. Yeah,
1: those are that's uh, your throat, Lari- oh. larynx. He didn't, even know, he didn't even know what he was talking yeah, he about because he, he he's yeah, I think he's. Reva's character is sort of to the extreme of like a very non food oriented money guy. Yeah. And I was was
0: thinking about Hannibal because I was watching that recently. And that got me really into the idea of eating livers. Mm -hmm. Or just because every day, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be gross here like, yo, I'm trying to eat people. But more, oh, there's all of these dishes, all this food, all this cuisine that exists when people would eat uh, the whole animal. From, yeah. the, from the snouts to the
1: tails. Which is, if you're eating meat, you should do that. From the bowels to the jowls. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, in all of that, Aw- awful, Awful is what they call it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like the less used cuts. I'm trying to eat sweetbreads. Yep, pancreases, mm-hmm.
1: thyroids, <laughs> pancreas. I don't think I've ever seen it. You know, I think I actually have seen it on the menu before. Yeah, <laughs> what is that? What are you making right there? Oh, that's a cartilage stew. It's a car- I mean. Yeah, I've seen – I've definitely eaten jowls. You get ligaments, tendon. Mm-hmm. Southeast Asians eat a lot of that stuff. They love the tendons. Yeah, they do. So yeah,
0: man, I am I would love to go to a restaurant where they just serve uh, more unconventional cuts because if you're if – you're, I think most of the time you go to a grocery store and you're like, oh, what are we eating off this animal? Mm-hmm. You're just eating the steaks. It's yeah. like a strip steak, skirt steak.
1: Well, you can find good butcher shops. I mean, depending on where you live, most uh, food food-centric areas have them. New York certainly does. I can take you to a spot in the West Village. Where we can go eat real, real weird shit. If you yeah, want. man,
0: I'm trying to eat some tongues.
1: Sure, tongue is delicious. You eat tongues. You're,
0: you got you got Mexican. I mean, we they genes. got the, You can get the tongues at the taco cart, but I always pass.
1: You get tongues. Uh, there's there's some specific spots you can go to get good.
0: I ate brains in Mexico City. Yeah, how did you feel about brains, man? So good. Yeah, they're it's weird. It's different. Yeah, and then they threw some. Um, ant larvae and on the side some escamole so ant larvae it's like just tastes like but like you cook it in butter mm. it's like delicious they're like the little tapioca balls that you yeah. get inside of like a tea like bubble the, tea bubble tea it's mm-hmm. like bubble tea tapioca mm-hmm, but like but, savory and like buttery
1: yeah and, uh that would actually sounds kind of good i've heard that ants have a crazy uh floral flavor i don't oh. remember ever eating them
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've,
1: I've had grasshoppers before but i feel like whatever i had them with In tacos at one point, years ago.
0: You're like, is that a hint of lavender? Mm. Mm, Is that that lemongrass?
1: Is that frankincense? (laughs) (laughs) This shit tastes biblical.
0: (laughs) Yo, these insects take like essential oils. (laughs) (laughs) This is de-stressing my tongue. You made me laugh
1: and howl (laughs) into the mic. Oh, man. So um,
0: The Economist, uh, the magazine, they had this like little food truck that they brought out. Mm. into. Uh, oh, you are telling me about this, yeah. And they had all this ice cream, but the whole point of the food truck was not the ice cream. It was like, how do we get people to eat more sustainable proteins? And they were uh, presenting different types of insects, and you could put those on your ice cream as toppings to get like more protein in your diet. So they had these big old, like, uh, desiccated grasshoppers, and they had, like, a variety of different types of larvae Mm -hmm. and grubs. So that was fun. That was fun. You know, I'm into it. I mean, was it good? A lot of it doesn't taste like anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, like, extra crunch. Yeah. So when you get, like, chapulinas in Mexico, the little dried up, um, fried up uh, grasshoppers, Uh You just throw them in uh, guacamole.
1: Yeah, that's what I, I had. Like a, I had tacos with that, and it was, there was just kind of not overpowered, but they didn't factor into the, the flavor profile, which is a term I know you love. I love that term, you yeah. Love that term.
0: You know what? You, t- you know when you take the uh, Nestle's uh, Crunch Bars mm-hmm. and <laughs> <laughs> put the little Rice Krispie Crunches in there? Uh, Dude, crispities. you could pack you- I'm saying, man,
1: that could be like that next cliff Bar. Just Grasshoppers? Yeah, just I like chocolate totally and Grasshoppers. You would make a killing in North Brooklyn. Yeah. Mm, fully sustainable. I made the, I made the chocolate in my bathtub. Yeah, with like the m- bugs are from Inlet Park.
0: A little a little maca <laughs> maca root powder in there too. That was McCarran Park, and foraging. Be like, just for men. <laughs> Extra protein. Yeah,
1: so. got problems with hair loss.
0: <laughs> like bugs. There's a there's a million ways we could market this. Sure. I mean, honestly, we're gonna do that. So keep
1: an eye out for bug bug bars.
0: Yes. So this guy, uh, back to the back to the movie though. All back right, so this. Favreau, he's, he's got a team. They love him. Leguizamo's on his team. Uh, the other guy, played by uh, Cannavale. Yep. They're Tony. They're, Tony. Those guys are like his uh, sous chefs.
1: Sous chef and chef de cuisine, I believe. Chef de cuisine is Bobby Cannavale. Uh, Favreau's. I mean, Leguizamo's kind of like a glorified line cook who just loves food and is kind of talented. But he's just coming up through the ranks, and
0: he's got the he's got the potty mouth. He's the one out there just speaking like the real kitchen.
1: I feel like they were buddies in Miami before he Favreau came out to uh, L.A. Yeah, he's they just out there calling connection. people
0: gay in Spanish, getting yeah. away with it.
1: That's kitchen. That's that's, uh, that's that's a lot of kitchens.
0: I yeah, I feel
1: like uh, I feel like they not the least a homophobic
0: arena I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> I think they cleaned up the kitchen talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think they have
1: to now. It's a little less of the, the the machismo.
0: Well even even in the mo- even in the movie I think that uh, they they 13 thirteened how the kitchen would probably really sound
1: oh absolutely, but I think kitchens are getting I mean like as is everything else way more politically correct now you have such a diverse so many people in the past fifteen years with the sort of onslaught of like celebrity chefs and like the cooking culture and food just taking a huge leap forward in America um Right. There are so many... I mean, 15
0: years ago, we were just a bunch of savages eating single-sliced craft cheese yeah. and white bread sandwiches. White bread mayonnaise sandwiches. Yeah. It was, like, just not even real... Not even real good artisanal mayonnaise.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was great chefs and people were doing things, but it wasn't, uh, you know... I, now with the food bloggers, Munchies TV, all this crazy focus on all these celebrity chefs. I mean, honestly, helped a lot by Bourdain's book, which was outstanding.
0: Yeah, uh, pre-Bourdain, people were just like cooking their steaks on George Foreman grills. I mean, you, what, you, you had
1: Julia Child and Yen Ken Cook, you know, and like Jacques Pepin and those Yen, dudes. But
0: Yen like, Ken Cook was a real person?
1: That sounds like a like a Wayne's World that joke. That was a show. Oh, who was Yen? Chef. Uh, I forgot his first name, but it was a show that I used to watch as a kid. It was on the Great Chef series. Hell yeah. You don't remember Yen Can Cook with the Walk?
0: I bear... Look, all I remember is the Joy of Cooking book because it looked mm-hmm. like the Joy of Well, Sex everyone book. had that. Even my mom had yeah. it. She
1: never cooked. Yeah. Actually, she cooked a little.
0: Um, no, one, no one in my life ever actually looks at the cookbooks. Sometimes I take... You know, my girlfriend had Blue Apron for about two months. Uh-huh. And uh, we learned how to cook from that. Did you? Yeah. And then We've we immediately some... stopped once we got like a... a critical mass of recipes we were like nah there's only so much you can do right
1: i've seen you cook before you like flavoring stuff
0: i like clean simple flavors mm-hmm. you know what i've learned from you zesting zesting <laughs> I'm,
1: i've become a zesty
0: bro i i love it uh, helps love that especially with like uh like some scallops
1: mm. and shrimp there's nothing wrong with uh, zesting yeah you need a little citrus you do always mm-hmm. acidity
0: um, so back to this uh, kitchen. To we, got, we got this hierarchy in the kitchen. We've got Scar joe Scarlett Johansson's in this movie. She's as... a, I think she's a
1: sommelier slash front of the house maitre d. Yeah. So she knows the wine and she knows the guests. I was
0: gonna say hostess, but that
1: maitre d. Let's call her maitre d. Sommelier. She has a. She's a little bit higher up than just a hostess.
0: Yeah. So uh, sommeliers. Mm-hmm. Dude, that movie. Some sick man.
1: Oh, the documentary. Yeah. Yeah, it's How interesting, fun. right?
0: I thought about that. That's what, what hucksters. Yeah. You know, you've just got to have the gift of gab. You really do. And, and the ability to,
1: <laughs> yeah, I've worked with some, a couple of talented ones. One of them's actually in the second part of that documentary.
0: Sure. I um, would have, see, this is a moment where in the movie, I, I wanted a little bit more of ScarJo. Uh, I thought she was great as a supporting character, but um, it would have been cool to have like, like I didn't know
1: she was a Psalm. A I feel like she was, she did something with the beverages and the wine list.
0: Yeah, like she had to pair the wines right. They, they so she's a some. To yeah. Yes. Yeah. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but as an act, to show off the acting chops, it would have been cool to have like a little something to showcase that.
1: Yeah, she didn't. They didn't really go into that at all. No,
0: I feel like they had these uh, these big named, high high uh, salaried celebrities for just a couple days. Yeah.
1: So she was they probably only paid on
0: set. Exactly.
1: On an eleven million dollar budget, which is what I think. That's a testament. to – Yeah, if you're right, Fabro's working relationships and probably like, it's a good quality script. Like it was just like a
0: sound film. Right. Well, I think if, if you if you're a celebrity and your budget is low, mm-hmm. they'll let you. They'll let you make it. I mean, what's the loss? Yeah, they're not worried. And he, uh, yeah. So this this movie's really kind of. I saw it as a metaphor for. Uh, and and I think that the Wikipedia article brought this up too. But I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, this is this is a great movie. That's a metaphor for anybody who's an artist. Who uh, sees themselves being creatively stifled by their environment? Uh, because he could, yeah, this is about a chef, but it could easily be about a stand-up comedian who's like doing the exact same set every night, mm-hmm. or uh, it could be a metaphor for a talk show host who, like, this reminds me of the Gary Gary Shandling show, you know, um, or it could be a meta—it's a metaphor for his life as a big-time director making movies that maybe don't uh reflect his aesthetic sensibility right so you know he's
1: making iron man and he's like ah but like i want to get back to my roots right a little independent smart well done film agreed yes so uh that what's um yeah
0: you have a point about this well i was gonna say there's a
1: similarity between the world of comedy and the world of cooking i feel like because after in the 80s Comedy became, stand-up comedians became, like, a huge thing. I, mean, I know Carlin and Pryor and all these guys and Lenny Bruce. But, you know, in the 80s, everyone started to do stand-up. Anyone that was kind of funny had, like, a vehicle. So there was, like, a Judd Apatow talks about it in this documentary I saw. kind of flooded the market with all these stand-ups. And then the same thing with, like, this new celebrity chef status over the past 15 years. So many more people are going into culinary school to learn how to cook and try to become chefs. And I don't think a lot of them understand the grind that is stand-up comedy or the grind that is cooking on a line for three years doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's, it's back-breaking. It's a grueling industry.
0: Yeah. I mean it, it looks so – you know, minds
1: set on fame and not, you know, not really understanding the fucking low pay and the work you got to do yeah. to become successful. And you got to be fucking talented. That's probably the bottom line here.
0: Yeah, the, the fact that he his day starts uh, in the morning prepping, yep. and then he leaves from the kitchen to go to the farmer's market to mm-hmm. go pick out all the produce. And then after that, he has to come back and uh, get his whole staff ready for right. what they're going to do that night. And then after that, uh, be cook. And then so what, what time is it close? You know, the restaurant, let's say it closes at midnight. Right. So he's been working from uh, 9 or 8 a.m., mm-hmm until midnight nonstop uh to get that one day done to get that one day done and then you have to start it all over again the next day and one thing i liked when i worked in a kitchen um or in restaurants is like at the end of the day you know you're you've accomplished the task it's like that day oh you feel like it's yeah
1: it's almost like yeah instant gratification for hard work
0: yeah and you leave with the money in your pocket right then yeah and you're like okay I
1: accomplished the task, so there is that. Well, if you're waiting tables, you do, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's true. Uh, So what happens here is Oliver Platt comes in, the the, the food critic, blogger, uh, and pans the outdated menu that, with no innovation, was expecting more from this guy, doesn't realize that it wasn't as much his fault as it was the narrow-minded, single-minded owner who just wanted to appeal to everybody
0: yeah that's messed up man you'd think that this guy would understand how or kitchens work
1: give his give his work give give his give his star a chance to shine you know that
0: that's worked why out well you know you don't <clears throat> i'm always like you don't uh prosecute the the low-level soldiers for the war crimes mm. you prosecute the generals yeah and you prosecute the politicians mm-hmm. that set up the policies that uh create the genocides and what this guy was seeing was like you know he was like oh look at this Rwanda on my plate you know I can't believe I can't believe what's happening here molten lava in Rwanda yeah like this molten lava cake is so offensive to him but like you know it's not really uh Favreau's character's fault right Reva, it's Hoffman yeah Hoffman's the
1: Pol Pot that's the guy
0: you gotta go after
1: uh when uh this is a little off topic, but a good point I think is uh Oliver Stone was being talked it was just, I, I sat with him in a gold college class. he did a two hour lecture for us because I took a class of one of his consultants, who was my professor, and he was talking about how the greatest generation of the World War II guys got a lot of credit, and you know what they did was heroic, but he's like he said a lot of those generals, a lot of those guys became generals that led us into what was uh, the nightmare in Vietnam. So a lot of their policies and a lot of these guys didn't get you know got credit for certain things but didn't get discredit for doing a lot of bad shit yeah. <laughs> so yeah you 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 got to you got to look you got to look deep and blame 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 the top brass eventually
0: yeah you got to blame the Revas of the world
1: and i the think it was the clash backers. of egos the financial backers yeah the money um so yeah the critic pans him and he, you know he doesn't understand social media and how the you go into this because you. point oh, on it I love a little this. bit better. So this movie yeah.
0: is also just a great meditation on social media and yeah. the power uh, because it's like a double-edged sword. Initially, he gets a terrible review, and that review goes viral on Twitter, and he doesn't understand how Twitter works. And his son, who's 10 years old, is like an indoor kid who, you know, he's like pale from just like getting – he just gets like all of his vitamin D from the, light, the, the glow of his computer screen. And um, – <clears throat> His son tells him about Twitter and how to use it, and he goes off and like uh, replies back to the critic without. uh, And he thought he was sending a private message, but he sent it public, and now he's he's viral. You know, he's in a flame war with uh, with this guy online, and (laughs) and then also he he loses his mind and goes back to the restaurant. and yells at the critic in front of everybody and everybody takes out their smartphones and videotapes the whole thing. So he becomes like as viral as the, as the hamster eating the little burrito. Right. And uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end. That's the end of his career Yeah. now because he's laughing stock. But why it's a double edged sword is, you know, all press is good press. Right. It's all about how you spin it. It's all about how you flip it. It's like now that, Thousands of people have their eyes on him. He has a platform to reinvent himself.
1: He also this was a metaphor for him taking a shot at critics of all kinds. It's like it's <laughs> easy for you to destroy someone else's creative work when you don't what do you do? I know. I just shit. imagine
0: John Favreau like uh, Skyping us and yelling at us after this podcast. Oh but I,
1: I liked your movie, John. Don't yell at me. <laughs> And I enjoyed it. Be
0: like who are you guys not creating anything? Gosh. And like our content is basically just building on other people's content. Yeah. So hey, we have we have good takes. Yeah, we do. Hey, you know what? Uh, John Favreau, the score to this movie, phenomenal. Oh great. yeah, I loved it. Great
1: job. With I the liked music. I liked your movie, John. Don't yell at us.
0: So much. So the feel good tunes were great. So that's another thing to watch this movie for. One is to watch it for like the cooking and just mm-hmm. like the authenticity of the kitchen and just the passion that. Uh, like I watch this movie, I want to eat a po' boy.
1: Oh man, I want all I wanted to do was marinate a pork butt, uh, make carnitas or something. Dude, I want to just get d- big old white plates. Side note, let's do that this Sunday. Ah, uh, oh, oh, it's delicious. This car- oh, this carnita. Oh mm. my god. Oh, so flavorful. Who uh.
0: <laughs> I want to get a. Uh, I want to get a whole bunch of little plastic cups with sauces in them, a mm. variety of different sauces. Like an octopus, just,
1: that shit, just dip it everywhere.
0: Yeah, man, and I want to make like a mo- like a modern art Jackson Pollock splatter portrait mm-hmm. on a big white plate with like three or four uh, craw crawfish. <laughs> oh, crawdads, Gabe. Yeah, crawdads mm-hmm. in the middle. Mm. <laughs> so
1: good. Yeah, it's And some uh, Andouille sausage. It's visually uh, visually great, and, and yeah, the music is awesome. It's like basically like a, a very hipster friendly uh, soundtrack. A lot of old. Uh, like originals that a lot of classic hip hop songs sampled. Uh, there's like the you know the, the revamped hip hop classics, like the El Michels Affair when he did 37th Chamber, yeah, which is basically like a I don't even know how to describe that album, but it's a play on Wu Tang's 36th Chamber. It's the beats, but it's done. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what he used, like an orchestra. Yeah, kind of like a a a, a nouveau orchestral take on the 36th Chamber. That's but wonderful. It's, it's fucking great.
0: We'll put it in the show. El notes. Michels Affair, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so the music's great and it's, uh, and it is, it's like, I feel like it's like hipster B-sides, mm-hmm. you know, I, exactly. I feel like I'd heard all of those songs, but they haven't been overplayed yet. Yeah. So that was cool. And uh, I was actually listening to it on Spotify when I woke up this morning I turned That's it on a to little get inspiration. Myself, yeah. To mm-hmm. get in the right headspace for this. So the chef soundtrack, killer. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. And, uh. Yeah, so he, so our man uh, Favreau, he either you could say he quits or has a meltdown and has to leave the restaurant, and now he is on a journey of unemployed self discovery. To set it
1: up, finally, what happens is he goes into a Twitter battle with the food critic Oliver Platt, and then um, basically it was like, all right, I have twenty thousand followers. He was like, I'm going to challenge you to come into my restaurant. I'll cook you a whole new menu, and then you can see what you say, comma asshole.
0: Oh yes. Oliver
1: and Platt accepts. Comes in. He has the whole menu planned out and the uh uh Riva, Riva. just <laughs> is not having it because he says the restaurant is as full on a work night as it's ever been since they opened and he only wants to play the hits. He wants to play he wants to use the same menu that the people that have been eating there for 10 years have come to know. No guts. No guts. Zero balls. Yeah. Uh, So Favreau freaks out, leaves during the, the, you know, the setup that day, Um, hears that he's sort of trashing the menu plate by plate while, you know, Oliver Platt expected a new menu. He's getting the same old shit cooked by Tony, the sous chef. He destroys it, or in the middle of destroying it, and then uh, Favreau comes in, has a huge meltdown in front of him, destroying him and lambasting critics in general, trying to, you know... Yeah, stunting the work of uh, creative and talented people. And that's where uh, he decides to go on a different voyage.
0: Totally, he's he's living with ScarJo. They're having a good time. They live together. I don't know what they're doing, but nah, they're, they're definitely, fucking. They're he's cooking up.
1: for her, and she's loving it.
0: Yeah, yeah. She it's a foodie. Uh, it's a <laughs> feeder feedy relationship, <laughs> you know. And I love I love that. But I like to watch the documentaries where one where the actual where the feedy is actually be, or the feed, yeah is becoming larger and larger. So it's unrealistic because she's so she's so thin, you know. Um, but yep. th- but their relationship is all it's very it's a hedonistic, sensual relationship based on him cooking for her with like nice music playing in the background. She loves it, but she tells him he's got to go off and do his own thing. So she doesn't break up with him, but but she encourages him to go and reconnect with his son and to go uh, and rediscover his his passion for cooking. Yep. So he's got to be his own man and uh his uh he, <laughs> he he's an interesting uh father character and it's and it's fun that this came out in 2014 because it reminds me a little bit of louie like when i saw him in his uh in his classes and his flannel shirt with his goatee mm. driving off to the farmer's market with his son in the back seat i was like oh this is like an episode of louie like because it's very similar in Louis, he's uh, he's a working comedian who's juggling being a dad mm. and like has to f- have boundaries with his kids. And right. In the same way, I was like watching. Um, you're like on one hand, why is this dad like not uh, hanging out with his son? Why is he Why is he distant with his son? But on the other hand, you know, isn't that? <laughs> It's like is he does he having good boundaries that allow him to be a creative master?
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like he's kind of doing it because of his career, and he's more focused on that than almost anything. I mean, he obviously loves his son and wants to spend time with him, but right when you're working that much and you are technically separated or divorced or whatever they are, suffer. Yeah, and I want to know why they got se- why they got divorced.
0: Yeah, That's it never like, never
1: goes Whoa. into
0: that because they ha- they seem to have a pretty positive relationship.
1: Yeah. Uh I mean I think a lot of divorced people that have to share a child have to fake it. Right. It doesn't seem place. like they're faking it though. No, no, like, it seems like they've still I mean obviously.
0: Yeah, turn out, And so so I think that's where someone might ding this movie is that uh the character development between these relationships uh seems kind of easy. Mm-hmm. Like like it's not um there there doesn't seem to be a lot of dramatic tension between him and his ex wife. And she seems to be okay with him having a new uh him sleeping with the Sommelier hostess. So. Right. Yeah, you don't see her jealousy at all. No. And uh, he, so uh, here's where the turn comes in the film, is that his ex-wife invites him to come to, uh, to Miami? Little Havana. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say Cuba, but that's not it. Nope. Little Havana in Miami, right? To uh, Where he, she's from. To be the nanny for the son while she goes and does business down there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this, this, is, this is great. This is the turning point in the film right? where our man rediscovers his passion, goes back to his, his place of origin where he was first uh, a chef mm-hmm. on the mean streets of South Beach, <laughs> cocaine-drenched, uh, you know, Scarface era. Hotel Mecca. Yeah, Miami. Yep. And uh, I guess he started uh, making Cuban cuisine
1: uh didn't say whether he did or not
0: Yeah, no yeah. I don't know we no, don't he know. Didn't, he didn't make Cuban cuisine. But, but he hangs out with his grand his uh father-in-law yeah the uh, abuelito. and they eat some uh, Cuban sandwiches together mm-hmm. and then he he comes up with the dream, the seed of the dream. hey man, why don't you make this food? why don't you why don't you start your own restaurant making Cuban food, which is cultural appropriation <laughs> or is it? I don't, or does it matter
1: I don't see it that way this time he's, he's a little too invested into Cuban culture himself and he's got Cuban family so I think he's just making good food yeah uh, yeah it's, to, for me it's kind of tough when you use cultural appropriation when it comes to food because the, it's like comedy it's like is there cultural appropriation in comedy it's like if you fucking if it tastes good or you make people laugh yeah you, you win oh uh, I was just
0: trying to use 2014 think piece talk oh gotcha <laughs> well I think
1: you succeeded <laughs>
0: Yeah, mm. cultural approach appropriation is uh, John, John Favreau making Cubanos in a in a food truck with a sombrero and he's rocking a dashiki. I'm mean, a chef's is he,
1: hat. Is he chef cultural appropriating? Because he's not a chef. <laughs> he's, yeah, using he's chef lifestyle. I mean, you know, totally. Let's oh. Just give it artistic license and uh, you know creative freedom here.
0: Just because you hung out with a food truck chef for a couple weeks, you think you can make a movie about being a
1: chef? If you put in some work and learn how to use a knife correctly and actually love food which it seems like he does
0: did they use his was he the one actually showing off his knife
1: skills oh or for was sure that was definitely no, no no that was definitely him they panned out just to let you know I watched, i watched him cut i watched all his technique shit he didn't i mean he, he definitely took some lessons man he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't bullshitting um, so that's that's good
0: Yeah, so he, uh, oh, and this is interesting. This is where we meet Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Because uh, his ex-wife says, I got a guy who will front you money to start up your new taco, or your new, uh, sorry, taco truck, your uh, food cart, Mm -hmm. food truck. Yeah. Um, Business, and it's uh, it's her ex-husband, who, I guess, Favreau's character uh, poached his wife because Robert Downey Jr. was her husband before Favreau right yeah so her ex is gonna float Favreau money for his new business dude what a what a progressive uh, bunch of people what a modern family
1: yeah I mean he fronted him the money but he took a lot of shots at him <laughs> I mean, there was still, still some some uh it was a contentious situation it's funny
0: because they it seems so good-natured that I didn't see it again this is an area where the movie could have had like more fangs within that performance because he did take shots at him like yo I slept maybe I slept with her after you did but
1: yeah but it could have been so it could have been meaner yeah definitely uh
0: yeah and they got to soup up the the food truck and this reminded me of breaking bad All right between uh, <laughs> Jesse and Walter White Good like point. a 10-year-old Jesse yeah and he's like we got to go get get a fryer check out this fryer i like that All scene right, we're going to get some new burners for the stove we got to clean the whole thing up yeah, they basically they make the uh, the meth co- the meth lab trailer mm-hmm. from Breaking Bad. They really did. And uh, Leguizamo comes back into the movie at this point. You know what a loyal dude. Yeah. Does that happen? Where like a like a a prep cook would uh, leave.
1: Oh, I think it depends on the situation. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it's it's both ways. Like they have to respect each other enough to want to work. With each other, I'm sure it's happened plenty of times. How loyal, yeah? Is it? But I also think Le was from Miami in this movie, so it's like he goes back home, and what, what's he, he's just? He's like a blind cook, so he's not, he's not losing much.
0: Because I think when you look at like movies, uh, you, you see uh, the director always gets praise in a mm-hmm. film, but um, a good director often has like the same crew come with him right. for multiple uh, productions. Sure, like, he's got the same sound guy, the same cinematographer. Maybe the same casting director, mm-hmm. and so all of the films have this sort of like it's like a team effort. Right? And is that what happens in in uh, restaurants as well, where like?
1: Uh, I think less less in restaurants because I don't think you have that sort of uh, buying power to move your whole team. Other places, and the whole squad, a, and a lot of young uh, line cooks and people that are getting out of culinary school. Like, I think the best thing they do for themselves is you go somewhere for six months to a year. And you learn that restaurant and you learn that style of cooking and you go somewhere else. So you want to just be well, like, you know, ver- well-versed in a lot of different types of cooking. So, you know, not as much, but I'm sure it does happen. And I'm sure guys that, like, on his level that see, like, a super talented line cook they want to bring up to wrote bro- to sous chef, to chef de cuisine, you know, they definitely keep that shit in the family.
0: Yeah, so but then there's the a danger common. that if you don't want, you know, they're all, they're gunning for the throne.
1: Sure, no. but they're We're trying but, to what take they, your top but, spot. But they leave and open up their own shit. That's, that's ultimately these guys' goals. Yeah. they open their own place where they have freedom to do whatever they want and cook their food. So you bring them along to a certain point, they'll respect you and love you for bringing them up, and then boom. We,
0: it, you think, uh, like, again, that's what I wanted to see, like, in the food cart. I wanted to see Leguizamo, like, on some Game of Thrones, uh, like, writing in his journal, like, one day it'll all be mine. Some little finger shit. Yeah, yeah, and be like, I'm gonna serve the the dopest chicken tenders at my restaurant. <laughs> That'd be that's a lofty goal. Yeah, just like some some uh, was wasabi, uh, black sea caviar encrusted
1: some chicken. Yeah, <laughs>
0: chicken
1: caviar and chicken. That's a good combo. Yeah, um, man. Why not make it happen? I trust you. I'll eat it if you cook it, dude. Clean and simple. That's <laughs> all you got to do is <laughs> zest it, baby. Uh, it's true. Clean and simple chicken zested uh, caviar sp- sprigs. Um, so learning little learning lesson. I, one thing I will say about the father son relationship, it's, it seems very authentic, and it's like I love that he feeds his kid everything. Cause that's what I would do with my son. I'd like you you're gonna eat all of this.
0: Stuff. That's how you educate a man. Yeah you gotta be the mama bird. You just should, try everything
1: you, until you don't like it. You just you don't like taking whatever like you it. ate yeah. back
0: into that little kid's mouth.
1: Basically. Yeah.
0: So it is good. Uh I the father son relationship in this is awesome.
1: Yeah, I I, I I uh I can relate to it in a lot of ways. I feel like that's how my dad was with me when I was younger in a lot of ways. And uh I feel like that's kind of you know but like almost frank men are never able to explain things as well as they should but the love is there and that's what matters he's also teaching him some good working skills
0: yeah it's well it's like a uh, father so i think um you know uh when your dad doesn't take you to work mm-hmm. you're like what what's this man do like dads are useless if oh, you yeah. don't see what they do i mean
1: i went to work with my dad uh, and it definitely wasn't this it wasn't a, it wasn't a chef
0: right I mean, And but uh, if you if if your dad takes you to work and you hate what you do, like no, so if you're a dad and you take your son to work and you hate what you do, then you're just teaching your son terrible lessons. Yeah, which is like compromise, and be an employee for someone
1: else. Well, I mean, you're ultimately an employee for someone else no matter what. My dad worked at the Library of Congress when I was, like, really young, so that was a cool place to go. Yes. But it was still fucking boring. <laughs> but maybe, In retrospect, 20 know, years later, it was cool.
0: If what you like, if you're passionate about what you're doing, then that's the thing that you want to impart on, mm-hmm. like, the next generation. It's right. like, find something you're passionate about doing. So, like, uh, I could see why Favreau wouldn't take his boy to the kitchen uh, at, at the restaurant. Right, because Dustin Hoffman was his boss and he was just robotically making food that he wasn't passionate about. Right. So, the perfect place to take your kid, and this seems like not very many people actually have an opportunity to do this in the modern economy, like the perfect place is the food truck. So, they go on a journey together from Miami mm-hmm. to LA. And that whole mm-hmm. time, uh, MJ Anthony, the boy, gets to see uh, Favreau's father character, like, enjoy what he's doing yeah he's learning every facet of being a self-made small-time business owner well there was that
1: whole part when you know he wants to toss out that that hotel pan that's crusted with shit that's left over in the old food truck he goes you don't throw that away get it out of the trash and they have this like battle yeah and then he kind of explains to him he's like look i know that i might not be the best husband sometimes not the best father if i let you down i'm very sorry but i am good at this and this is everything that i've done good comes comes from this yeah. So he's giving him the backdrop on why he doesn't want to waste it, and that he was appreciated. It was good. And then he does that again with the Cubano
0: mm. when, the, when the boy like lets one of the sandwiches burn a little oh, bit. Oh, that he's was like, yo, yeah. just give give
1: this hungry dude to burn. Oh, a that's sandwich. where that's where it, that was that scene. Oh, that's oh the those second two separate scene. scenes, you're yeah.
0: Right. So you know he's repeating the same right. sort of message, same in same life a variety lesson. Of way. Yeah, same life lesson. Um, so, but that's, the, I think that's the best part. I think it's a fantasy too. Like, I don't know if Favreau actually, cause he wrote and directed this. I don't know. Maybe he like regretted missing time out with his own kids while he sure. was directing all Iron Man. Yeah. But, uh, like this, this is an ideal, ideal and idealized version of what a father son relationship could be. I don't know how many, I don't know how many fathers actually get to have this cool and experience with their kids.
1: Yeah. That's very true. I mean, that's. Pretty lucky. Um, yeah, to have two
0: months off, just like or uh, maybe a month off to. It was like a summer trip. summer break, yeah. yeah, for the kid.
1: Um, so they start making cube. They decided to make Cuban sandwiches. Leguizamo comes down and he just marinates a pork butt. Some crazy looking, like, you know, like mojo. It's style. called mojo, mojo baby. yeah, like garlic citrus. It's awesome. It's it
0: yeah, did. and he needs a leguizamo because uh, you need you need somebody to speak Spanish. It's true. We've learned this multiple times. It's, it's never stated ex- explicitly, but throughout the movie, it's like, oh, yeah, you got to have somebody Spanish speaking in the
1: kitchen. Right. It's true. Especially yeah. if you're going to be making Cubanos in Miami. <laughs> uh-huh. That's going to buy white dude Cubanos from a truck. <laughs> 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 so, you know, they start making good product. They give it to all these, like, day, wor- day laborers, basically. Everyone, you know, they get a following. The guy's got 20,000 Twitter followers out of his, off of his Twitter beef um and they wanted to start getting the show on the road so they traveled new orleans like a food truck situation they make po boys make po boys i would have liked that man
0: show me how to make the po boys because they show us how to make the cubanos you know
1: yeah and then what else did they do they did uh oh then they made uh austin midnight oh dude that looked so they went to this place that's sort of like a uh, underground, well, not even. I mean, everyone knows about. It. It's called Franklin Barbecue. I like the
0: idea that it's an underground barbecue spot, like a, like a un- knows. unregulated speakeasy. Where they're like, sure. "Hell yeah, this is an FDA approved guys. We're just gonna serve
1: you some of that uh, that that random bush meat. Yeah, we don't. We cooked it at odd temperatures, on and off, so we don't know if you're in the. Uh, <laughs> Fucking E. coli <laughs> danger zone, but it's gonna this taste is some good. NC seventeen. Oh, they shut down places because of barbecue. Actually, is a is something that the Department of Health has a lot of issues with because of the shift in temperatures that it, it goes through, and it's a long, slow cooking process. Yeah. So they shut down Fatty Kew in Brooklyn at one point because of that. Uh, so it's tough, tough to keep it in that. That safe zone. Wow! So that's something to think about, everybody. It's a little nugget for you. Yo, in BBQ, case you were unregulated out. That's
0: That's the true outlaw cuisine.
1: But they go to Franklin Barbecue, which is like uh, to be one of the best places to get brisket. I mean, those briskets look fuck. I mean, that that looked really good. Yeah. I mean, you know I, what? I It, it looked
0: that. dry and crispy on the outside, yet okay. moist and pink on the inside. Oh,
1: gross. Oh, Capes. Oh, it's deli- oh, delicious. Seriously. Yeah, no, that food looked fucking awesome. Those sandwiches <laughs> look look real. So he, he, you know, he obviously did food research, man. The guy knows his shit. Yeah. He went to places that not everyone knows about. Although Franklin Barbecue is well known now, because it's gotten on every like travel show and shit. But you know, you know, this is also four years ago, five years ago that he was filming this, so it's a little more under the radar. But he paid attention,
0: and uh, they get they get back eventually. Oh, they get they go to Austin. Right? Well, they're in Austin. He tells his son, "It's like, yo, man, it's not going to be like this when yeah. we get back. You're going to have to go to school. You're going to have to learn things. I'm going to go to work. Hang out in this food cart all day long." Yeah. And uh, then he gets back and he gets sad because his son, he misses his son. Yep. He realizes that uh, he's part of the team now and they've actually become a, a father son enterprise. You know, which is, I guess, the ideal too. Like, you know, you want to work with your family, keep it in the family. It's like uh, Vito Corleone and Michael Corleone mm-hmm. making Cubanos. So. It's a reference uh, to Godfather 2. Shout outs. <laughs> and then they. They bring the wife in, the ah.
1: ex-wife. She starts working with them. That's right. Oh, they're because they're back in L.A. and doing a food truck thing. Where the food truck scene in L.A. is huge, obviously, because that's kind of where it started. Food trucks. What a fun, uh,
0: interesting, like evolution.
1: I've of... never been. I've never been blown away by food truck food, but I've never had like a really bad food truck experience. It either. just seems like what all the restaurants are going to be like in the apocalypse. You say, yeah,
0: yeah, that's a good point. It's like just a caravan, you know, because you want to be mobile. Like if the hordes are coming this way, you want to be like, (laughs) I can (laughs) drive away to where civilization has ended up. Right. Or maybe also if you've got – it's with gentrification happening so fast in so many cities, it's like, oh, well, this was the hot neighborhood. Um, Instead of actually laying down roots and leasing a restaurant in a building here, a brick-and-mortar building, why don't I just get myself a little cart? And, like, once things shift two miles away, I can just drive over there. Or you can just go wherever
1: that the lunch hotspot is that day. Yeah. You're not ground to one brick-and-mortar existence. Yeah, I would love to see food trucks because it's basically what it is. It's, like, good, good food. And this guy, Choi, elevated it. And, uh, you know, I would hope that they would, like, usurp fast food in terms of, like, uh, consumption. Because it's going to be a better quality made by real people. And even though they're all driving around, it's probably still much better for the environment than these fucking giant corp- like mass murder chains. Yeah. So there's that. So go out, let's go out and eat food trucks, everybody. And, and food
0: really, truck life. Really
1: stick it to McDonald's and the rest of these shitheads that are putting out pink slime. Mm, pink slime.
0: So uh, <laughs> pink slime just makes me think of uh, Ghostbusters too. The Ectoplas- oh, that's the the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. the bad vibe, pink slime. You like if car you car get thing. covered in it, you just start cursing at people. You become that's like true. a real New
1: Yorker. Yeah, Ugh. fuck you, miserable. Fucking E trains shut down.
0: Oh my god. Turn on the We got a uh, okay. So so then uh, this then when they're at the food truck is like mm-hmm. slam. They got so many people coming, and the lo and behold, here comes this critic coming back. And he uh, he got one of his assistants to, to buy some of these Cubanos. He ate them. He loved them. So now he sits down with uh, Favreau, and he's like, hey, I want to bankroll you to uh, – I've, I've got an idea for a great restaurant. Why don't you be the head chef there, and you can get out from uh, this food truck. You can go back to a brick-and-mortar establishment, and I'll be your boss. But you can do anything you want.
1: Yeah. And he, he kind of says why he panned him initially is because he expected so much more from him because he was one of his guys. He said like that was really yeah. helping the LA food scene come up. You can do better. He's kind
0: of like a paternal figure, like mm-hmm. it, like the metaphor I have is like Favreau's like you know burned burn the outside of the Medianoche, and uh, and the critic just was like, dude, you got to be passionate about this. Yeah. So he, it was tough love. It was uh, he he wanted more from him and. That's what he expected. and uh, But here's where I'm a little not excited about the resolve in this movie is that Favreau saw the benefit of being his own boss and saw uh, all of his success came from doing everything on his own, Mm -hmm. and he's jumping right back into the situation that he was at the beginning of the film.
1: Okay. So what I will say about that is he's being offered... But effectively, is every chef's dream, bankrolled, carte yeah. blanche to do whatever you want creatively with a guy that actually believes in you. Right. Uh, so that's kind of a dream. Also, he needs the stability. You're not going to make a ton of money in a food truck unless you have like a fleet of food trucks. which You probably could have done, but that's a lot of work and that's a lot of weird. So he could be like Lord Humongous of the chefs. So what interest. you're doing is franchising, basically, though. Yeah. Like, you're sending out food trucks, and you're having other people cook your food. It's just going to get worse. Dumbs down the product. It's like when, like, a good place opens up, and you get, like, two, two of them, and a third, then a fourth, and a fifth, and they just start And then declining it's just Fuddruckers. Yeah, or, like, fucking, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Calexico. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, that being said, also, he wanted some stability. You know, you need to sit down. He, he has a family. He, at the end, spoiler alert, he and his, and Sophia Vargara get remarried or reattached. Mm-hmm. We don't see ScarJo again. Bed. We don't. She's gone. She was only available for that day and a half shoot. Um, But I see why he took it. I don't think he's kowtowing to the man here. I think he got a fucking offer he couldn't refuse. And as a chef, that's I would assume that's, that's their dream. Not yeah. having to put up your own money and being offered every creative freedom to run your own place the so way you want to it. get that written in a contract though or something I mean I'm sure he does I'm you sure know. they have some sort of understanding you and gotta I'm cover sure it your it doesn't bases. Really matter if it's not written in he's not fucking paying for anything Oliver Platt's character is because he made a ton of money selling his blog website right here's one more little piece before we leave you people on Yelp if you're shitting on a restaurant because you had to wait 30 minutes longer for your table and you want to fucking hurt them stop being an asshole and trying to put people out of business because you had to wait for a table shut the fuck up and wait <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I have so little, uh, so little love for these Yelp people. You guys are fucking, just shut it. Shut, shut up and eat your food. Don't take pictures of it. Fucking fuck off.
0: <laughs> I was, uh, I was doing a show and, uh, it was, uh, I was hosting a show at a, uh, secret location. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But the show was, um, offering, uh, hey, you get, there's free pizza at the beginning of it. Yeah. So doors open at 830, show starts at 915. Yeah. When I get there around 9.05, there's a a woman who is very upset with the bar, the guy behind the bar. And she's like, where is all the pizza? I was promised pizza. And he points over at the seven empty pizza boxes. And he's like, hey, it's all gone now. But, like, we get the same amount of pizza every time. And she's like, well, if you're going to... If you're going to offer pizza and you're going to promote this as having that, like, there should be enough for everybody. Are you going to order more for me? And he's Mm. like, no. Like, she was one of the
1: last people there. Are you going to order more for me? Yeah.
0: And he's like, no, man. You can order your own pizza if you want. So now I'm, like, in the front. I'm up uh, performing. I'm hosting the show. And they are, like, the four ladies up front. And they're, like texting instead of paying attention to the show everyone else is excited She was one of them she was one of she's one she's a fucking yelp f- scumbag and she's passing I'm her. am sure she gave it a bad yelp review she's passing her phone from a uh, friend to friend to friend and they're like proofreading it and like you know making sure that it's right so, so she did do that yeah and and the guy uh who runs the place is in the dj booth behind and he he was actually the the working the bar yeah so he's like in real time mm-hmm. like i can see you in the front yelping like writing about us (laughs) i'm the one who said that you're writing this review to the owner of this place yeah that's me i know that there wasn't pizza because you showed up late Mm -hmm. so you can order your own pizza or you can leave right now and i'll give you a refund but you can't stick around and watch the rest of the show great and like
1: here's the benefit either show up on time to get your free fucking pizza or walk (laughs) outside because you missed the boat because you were late and uh you know there's a thousand slice shops in the city. Yes. So shut your face. Stop texting.
0: There's dollar pizza everywhere. Or just
1: I mean you sound like just don't even leave your house. Just rent just rent videos. Just rent videos. Rent comedies.
0: And and eat our uh and eat our new line of Sammy and Gabe's uh chocolate covered cricket and maca yeah. powder uh, energy bars. Yeah. Coming, coming out soon.
1: soon. Yeah, just be there between nine and nine oh three. If you're late, fuck you.
0: Yeah. So uh, what's your what's your final take, man? You I really
1: I really enjoyed this movie for so many different reasons. The acting is great. The script was good. The story is solid. The soundtrack is excellent. It's got a good message. It's very food centric. It'll teach people certain things about the restaurant industry and not to be an asshole on social media. I definitely recommend this movie.
0: I think this is a feel good, uh, feel good film that's got a really great father son relationship. The uh, color is fantastic. I think Favreau did a really good job with like the music and the casting. Uh, I thought at the same time though it was like a little slow in some places for me, and uh, the drama could have been a little. I, I like things a little bit grittier. Like there could have been a little bit more drama. Mm. Um, whereas like in what I mean by that is he starts off uh, the only problem that he really has the only obstacle is that he's in his own way he's always got people who are ready to bankroll him and he's always got uh, a supportive crew be it his family uh john leguizamo's character or uh uh financial backers so that's where i was like oh there's not that much actual drama in this movie it's it's a it's a great view of life in a life as a taco as a food truck uh entrepreneur um but the struggle wasn't as high stakes Mm -hmm. as it could have been it's
1: more like how carl casper got his uh groove back yes but all in all a, a, a good one watch this one if you haven't already i know we gave you the entire movie but it's still once we do this we give you you should judge for yourself and We'll yeah. be posting that on the website, the movies we're going to review the next week, so you guys can get on them as well.
0: Yeah, if you like Favro, you'll like this. Yeah. Uh, also, um, subscribe. Give us a five star review. We love that. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully, soon we will have more goodies and stuff, and we'll probably set up a Patreon soon. But uh, thanks for listening to Eat Pray Judge. I'm Gabe Pacheco. See you in the morning. All right. Peace.